Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Launch AMA, a fireside chat podcast where we talk to experts from and around the startup industry. Today, we're bringing in Tanis George, founder of the Co-Founders Hub and former COO of Trulio. She's a three-time startup founder with decades of experience starting and scaling companies. Today, she talks to Sam Chan about the early stages of hiring and expanding an executive team, the personality and requirements for a great co-founder relationship, and the tips and tricks to maintain that working relationship for your company. Let's go check it out. Welcome everybody to another episode of Launch AMA. I'm your host, Sam, as always. And today I am joined by Tannis George. Welcome, Tannis. Hi. Hello. Awesome. Hello, everyone. Awesome. This is this is uh probably another one of those stories that like that probably don't get talked about enough, but like we actually first connected, I think like 2018, 2019, we talked about doing, I think we called them fireside chats back then. Yeah. yeah um exactly. and then of course it got lost in the shuffle and like so many things have changed since then. Mm, um but um yeah just to get things started why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit share a little bit about how you got into technology how you started becoming a a startup founder and 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 obviously multiple times over now yeah for sure so uh yeah tanis george um let's see where do i start i uh serial entrepreneur started my first company back in oh my goodness 2001 i want to say uh, with one of my best friends from high school, it was right out of high school that my best friend and I, Stephen Ufford, uh, started our business. Um, and when we started our first company, it was in Vancouver, and there was very little of a startup scene uh, there. So I can definitely say that there's been a major evolution in the startup scene uh, in Vancouver. But um, found ourselves, we, our first business was online credit reports in Canada, um, and ended up staying in that niche uh, industry for 10 years. We built three companies together. Um, all of them took about three years to build and then successfully exited each of them. They were all acquired. And then in 2011, uh, we had this idea to build a identity verification company. And Stephen headed down to the Silicon Valley uh, to just do research and such. And truly was born. Um, where we went down to plug and uh, plug and play down in Sunnyvale uh, incubator there, and uh, just started started researching and and determining what we wanted to do with the business, and eventually raised uh, funds, which we brought up to Vancouver, and that's the early stage. <laughs> that's the early start. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Let's let's talk a little bit about about the first three companies first, because I okay. I know obviously you get asked a lot about Trulio. Yeah. Um, you get asked a lot about, you know, what you're currently doing. We'll definitely get to that as well. Um, but uh three companies, I th- I think were they all in in kind of the the verification space, the credit score space? Yeah. Um, was there a clear difference between, you know, when you set aside one and you're like, I'm starting another? Yeah. You know, it's funny, any serial entrepreneur will agree with me, I think, when I say that it's very much like being in the mafia. Just when you think you're out, it sucks you back in. <laughs> That's what I always say. I, so every time we 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 built and sold a company, we just sort of looked at each other and was like, "Hey, that was great," you know. And then you know, and behold, a couple of months later, we're like, "Hey, got another idea. Why don't we try this?" And and then it progressed into another business. And and so our first one was online credit reporting. Um, the second one was a acquisition and a marketing and, and taking a credit bureau national in Canada. 
Um, and we did their marketing, we did their expansion, and then orchestrated their acquisition along with our own. And then our other one was in the identity fraud space, working with a partner called Kroll International. And they did identity fraud products. And so we helped expand them from the US into Canada and Australia, and also helped them to create an identity fraud insurance product here in uh, here in Canada with some of the bureaus. And so that was, um, and then they eventually acquired us. So it was these three companies. You know, I'll start off by saying Stephen and I had no interest in identity when we started this. <laughs> uh, he and I both, we have high school degrees. We never went to college. You know, it was just, we fell into a niche market and we were very fortunate that uh, the way we built our business allowed us to find new opportunities and sort of leverage the past successes that we had and bring them into the next business. So um, all of them in the data space, identity space, um, but all very unique in many ways as well. Mm -hmm. And now's a good time for some housekeeping, just as if you're listening live to this, if you feel like asking Tannis a question, whether it's about, you know, fintech or security or, you know, how the space has changed in the last decade uh feel free and then we'll try and get to as many as we can um okay and in between each of these startups like you did and end up having a break right like yeah. what, what what was the plan when you exited each startup was it kind of like okay i'm going to go and do something else with my life and because it sounds like the plan wasn't like i'm going to go back and do another one right yeah yeah and then that was the thing i think that after each company uh again i think when you start a business that idea of, of getting up and going and doing that journey again seems kind of almost daunting, but there's something very invigorating about an idea. And fortunately for both Stephen and I, we can catch each other's enthusiasm very easily. And when one of us has an idea, it almost just sits in your head. And again, as any entrepreneur would know, when you have an idea in your head and it just doesn't go away, the only th thing you can do is action. And so for us... Um, it didn't take very long after the previous one uh, to have sort of incoming calls pop in and opportunities start to percolate and we would just grab the next one. So it was not intentional. It sort of fell into it. But once again, sometimes that's the unique advantage you have from being in an extremely unique uh, uh, niche market that some you don't have to go out searching for business, that the opportunities can come to you. Yeah. And, and dealing with, you know, multiple ideas. And, and I think that I, the concept of ideas is really, really interesting because, because maybe during, while you're building a company, you might have an idea for either something else or an extension of, you know, your existing product, right? Yeah. How, it, and by now I feel like you've gotten down to almost like a routine, like, how do you identify like, Hey, this is something that I want to pursue versus like, mm, let's, let's uh, let this sit for a little bit longer, or maybe hopefully somebody else does it. Cause it's a problem I want to solve. I want solved, but maybe yeah. I don't want to solve it. Yeah, exactly. I have one business sitting in the back right now that I would love somebody <laughs> who could do because it needs to be done. Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right. And I'm an ideas person. Actually, that is my superpower slash curse. Uh, I definitely can come up with lots of ideas. And I think in, in our circumstances, the one that has obviously the most potential, sometimes even the lowest hanging fruit, allows you to start in on that. And so I think for uh, for an early or for an entrepreneur contemplating multiple different ideas, uh, I think look at what resources you have available to you. If you have capital, maybe then you don't necessarily take the easiest idea, but 
but maybe start to consider what might be the best for like a long-term business. But at the same time, after building four companies, I am a huge proponent of the term enjoy the journey. It's extremely, extremely important to love that trade-off that you're doing of um, building a business and and your life. So I I would give the advice as well. What what do you have a passion for? What is exciting? Because the journey of an entrepreneur is very much a roller coaster ride, and it's got it's hard. So if you can love what you do and be excited about it, then that that makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And you know, in talking about you know these four startups. Um, I think your label has been, you know, chief operating officer. Um, there's probably a couple of COOs sitting in the audience right now. Like from your perspective, like what exactly is it that do you think like COOs do and like what makes a good one? What makes a great one? Yeah. So it's very interesting. Um, and I can speak from like an early stage ty- uh, mm-hmm. as that it being a title in the early stage. And I think what becomes very interesting about the CEO title as a, as a founder and startup, uh, beginning with a startup is in the very beginning, you wear all the hats. Actually, all the founders wear all the hats. But what ends up happening for the COO is that those roles slowly chip away um, as the business grows. And you find yourself having to adapt to the operation side as in like the actual logistics of a company versus in the beginning, your kind of operations and marketing, your operations in even uh, the finance side of things, your operations in all these different pockets. But as your company grows, now you have a CFO, now you have a CMO, or even just a, a, a VP in these in these markets. And I, I find as I talk to COOs that run that journey, Sometimes there's like a identity crisis because you start to see these tasks pulled away. And I think a successful COO slowly begins to to find that overarching operations and is comfortable with releasing maybe even some of the tasks that they enjoy (laughs) um, to people who are more specific into that role. Uh, So a successful COO is able to adapt to losing these key uh, procedures that they're usually taking it care of from the early stage. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in, in conversations, I, like, I often think about like co-founders getting added. I hear a lot about like, Oh, we, we need to up our marketing. So we hire a CMO. Um, our finances are all out of order because our co-founders kind of just do everything off of Google spreadsheet. So let's get a CFO. Like, and then it's like, Oh, we need more technology. We need a technologist. We can get a CTO. Like we don't talk about the need for, for operating officers as much. I find anyway, at least probably publicly, yeah. like what are like the, the pain points that, you know, when a, when a team is looking at could be the founding team could be a small team um, that they're like, Hey, like it's time we kind of filled this position that we didn't think we needed, or we didn't know we needed. Yeah, as in a COO role, as you're talking yeah. about there. Yeah. So when I left Truly You, we were in a search of someone who would basically take over my position. We have the incredible Zach Cohen who took over for me, um, is still at basically today the COO. And um, I think one of the key pieces of finding that person is understanding the importance of that person who can really walk alongside the CEO. And that relationship is very similar in many ways to a co-foundership because Mm -hmm. they really need to complement each other. That said, 
I think there's also something to consider, which is the personality type of the CEO. And again, the needs of the business, maybe, um, you know, an operations person isn't that what you need, that you do need someone more niche. And so to put an overarching, when do you need a COO? I think it's, I think it is based on, on the business and what the needs are of the company at that time, because everything, everything Mm -hmm. is, um, is different. Every business is different. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not sure if you've experienced this personally, or maybe, maybe companies you've advised or whatnot. Right. But if we take that kind of token starting group of, of, you know, having, having a CEO, having, or sorry, having someone that, that does sales or business, whatever we want to call it. Um, and then we obviously take, take someone who, who does the technology. And then the third one, the, the token team is that designer. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you, how are you seeing people split those roles? And, and what are some of the, what are some of the maybe small pieces of advice at that, as you know, your, your double teaming tasks, right? You're trying to make sure that the company is taken care of. Um, that that you would recommend to folks who who don't have a dedicated person to operations. Yeah. So it depends I think in the early stage of a business you have to be very very confident that the people that you bring on board flourish in an early stage business. Uh we've been obviously at this for a really long time and eventually what came to me was to really when in the interview process is to really do a deep dive into what what corporate culture does this person fit better into? And I think while your team is small, say under 50 or so, you really do need to have people who flourish in the idea of multiple hats or at least uh, really engaging in different pieces of the business. And so when you're building your team out, letting them know that they, they're going to get to have their hands in various different pieces of the business. So they're not going, oh, I thought I was just going to do this, or I thought this was exclusively my role. And I find when those kind of people are put in that position, they flounder and it and it doesn't work. So I think the ideology of the people that you hire in those early stages, they really need. And a lot of times people say, I want to work in a startup. And then they get into startup and they're like, Oh yeah, no, this is not me. So you really do have to um, really make sure that they're going to flourish in that, which is meaning willing to go that extra mile and and learn learn everything um, and not just be super niche. And and I mean, you're you're on your fifth time doing this now. Did you find that as you start each company? the way you hire the type of people that you want to work around, like has that evolved at all? Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think for Stephen and I, Stephen and I, we both really loved working with people that we liked. <laughs> and I, almost to a fault, I think sometimes we, 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 we befriend our team. Uh, and sometimes that becomes a really, really tricky dynamic mm-hmm. as the founders and then having your team so that's small in the beginning you're in the in the weeds together and you're in the journey together but at the same time there is that boss and 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 employee yeah. uh, relationship which can be a little tricky so i think for me anyways over the years i've learned to create those boundaries a little bit um and and not be so mm, I mean, I still love my 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 team, but I do recognize that sometimes it, it can't go too too friendly. Right. When you got to talk business or you have to hold somebody accountable for something, if it's too friendly, that can be a really difficult conversation. So yeah. that's something to keep in mind too. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and you know, focusing like on Trulio just a little bit. Um obviously when when like I've listened to other talks you talked about like you did say like after 3 you were like I'm done. Like I I I want I want a, a longer break, like not the same type of break you had before. Like what kind of drew you back once more? Was it just, you know, like Steven's pitch or like what was it? Yeah. So actually after the three, uh, as I, we always joke that we gave our 20, 20s to entrepreneurship. So for the my entire 20s, I was building companies. And at the end of that, I decided that I wanted to start a family. And so I started and I had two kids under two when Stephen approached me again and said, Hey, this idea that we had, I want to, I want to go to Silicon Valley. I want to, I want to grow it. Do you want in? And and I really hadn't anticipated being in in back in a business again. But at the same time, I thought I could be lightly involved. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, within about a year or so, uh, we got traction, and uh, I, I I didn't want to I didn't want to I, I knew Stephen and I were a great team, and I knew that I could support him in that. And, you know, being able to raise our first round and seeing the possibilities. Yeah, I just I couldn't miss the opportunity. So it was difficult, you know, two kids under two and starting Mm -hmm. a tech company was a very different experience than with our previous businesses and, and such. But um, yeah. Yeah, we push through. Yeah, I I think we definitely do have some parents in the audience as well. So I I think they can relate to that. Um, Talking about, you know, Stephen going down to the valley and things like that. Was that kind of, it sounds like you were were starting kind of like, obviously you'd built multiple six businesses in the past. The network was already forming or formed, Mm -hmm. right? I know I'm very cognizant of, of, you know, our audience currently, like a lot of them are coming to Canada for the first time. Um, they're trying to kind of rebuild their network and they're trying to find their footing to to build their own startups, what, whatever level of success they've had in the past, right? Like yeah. what recommendations or or advice do you have for those that are kind of trying to to branch out, especially like, you know, the, the types of businesses you're doing B2B, you're doing B2E, these are not easy networks to just walk and be like, hey, want to buy my stuff? Yeah. Um, you know, those things take time. Like what kind of recommendation do you have for those folks that are kind of trying to enter what could be the Canadian market, could be the American market, or it could be a foreign market um, in terms of these deeper, deeper sales cycles and things like that? Yeah. So, so ultimately there's a fine line between building a network and wasting time. And I think Anybody who wants to be intentional, I mean, Vancouver does have a good startup scene. Uh, there is a lot of opportunities to get involved, but my suggestion to everyone is no matter what you do when it comes to building that network, you have to be extremely intentional and, and almost to a, a level of, of feeling uncomfortable doing it, which means being very upfront and asking asking for assistance and explaining why you're here. I am here today because I am looking for this. Do you have Do you have a recommendation? And not just going to an event or approaching somebody and just having a conversation, hoping something will come out of it. And just you'll, you'll, you'll get their phone number, and you have a great report. It's like, no, you have that moment in front of them. That is where you say, I'm looking for this. Can you help me with that? And I think the cool thing about the tech industry is that we really do understand the importance of I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. You know, if we all help each other, everybody wins. So being bold in those moments of talking to people 
is essential. Otherwise, you can really waste your time in some of these networking um, places, but at the same time, they could be excellent positions to, uh, to find what you're looking for at whatever within your business. Hey, listener, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Launch AMA so far. If you want to be a part of these discussions live as they're recorded, consider joining other like-minded entrepreneurs in our Launchpad program to participate in weekly programs and enjoy benefits from Amazon, Microsoft, and more. Learn more about the Launchpad program by going to launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. That's launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. All right, now back to the show. Yeah, and do you find that, you know, and now we're getting kind of into the weeds and nitty gritty, like, even meeting for the first time, like let's say you bumped into you know somebody that's listening to the audience now at a, at a meetup or something like that. Like, do you find that those asks are coming out immediately, and how is that received? I guess from your perspective. Yeah, again, depends on where you're at. If you're in a network meeting, it's okay mm-hmm. to just jump right into it and go. So, why are you guys here? I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm here because mm-hmm. I'm looking for. Uh, you know, someone for my executive role, or I'm here to find a supplier. Um, And but again, having that reciprocity in there, it isn't taken as so much like, whoa, like, what are you? What are you trying Mm -hmm. to get out of me? Um, I think that is a a big piece of it. And it's okay. But if if it is an ask, there's a couple things making sure that um, you respect people's time. If I went for every coffee and or took every phone call that someone asked me, hey, I'd love to pick your brain. I, yeah, it would be a full time job. And respecting that sometimes people don't have that capacity uh, to really assist you. So, you know, even just asking a question, I'm just going to send you an email. Here's my question. Answer it. Don't get to the point. Those are great ways if you needed to to jump in. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, on behalf of all the people, we definitely appreciate you, you answering my email here. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, and no, I, I think it's really good that we're kind of getting practical about this, right? Because I think we, like, even for me, like, I definitely tell our entrepreneurs, like, you know, go out, network, meet people and stuff. But like, I think I want to reiterate what you're saying is like, before you're going, before you're even choosing which events to go to, mm-hmm. like, what is your objective? What is your goal? What do you need? Like, even write that down if you need to. And the other side of it that that I kind of, you know, read in between the line is like, what do you have to offer? Right? Like walking forward into a networking event with both armed with both those things allows you to have meaningful conversations, it sounds like. Yeah. Networking is not showing up at an event and drinking beer and just hanging out. That's not networking. That's a social event, which is fine. But networking is actually intentionally seeking what you need and being there exactly like you said, Sam, there to help. Perfect. Perfect. And I think one more thing I want to touch on, just uh, whether it's truly or any of your other businesses, because obviously you 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 exited at some point in all of them, right? Like, how did you know it was time to leave for lack of a better term, right? Whether it's acquisition or something else, um, like what goes into decision-making at the end of, you know, a certain journey? Yeah. I think for us, it was knowing, knowing ourselves the best. So our first three businesses, we understood that we were very good at getting businesses from ideation to that next, to that stage, launching it, getting it up and going, we knew we did that extremely well. And so that was sort of, we even intentionally from the, from the very minute, and I give this advice sometimes to a lot of entrepreneurs is just, you know, know your exit ahead of time. 
what do you, what is your goal? Because you make decisions on your business based on that decision at the end. So sometimes it's important to understand your exit before you even begin. Um, so that would be one thing. Uh, so we knew we did that really well. When Trulio came along, we intentionally decided that we wanted a business that was going to go longer than three years, that we mm-hmm. were going to be able to see into these higher levels. And so that was the reason why we didn't choose to be acquired very early on or take early offers, which truly you got very early. And we just were like, no, not interested. Um, so that was a key piece. And then for me, I understood that I, again, was I, I was good in that early stage. Um, and my lifestyle at the time also was a component that made me decide what do I want to do? And, and as the founder of, um, co-founder of a, of a company that was growing exponentially, I was really torn between my desire to be, you know, able to be around with my kids and, and grow my family and, and invest in them. And then also be able to be a hundred percent in my business. And I just knew that I wasn't successfully doing both. And I'm kind of one of those people who has to be like awesome at everything. <laughs> and when I wasn't feeling that I, I was like, this is, I'm not, I'm not the best person for this role anymore. And so that was where it was around that time that we decided that, you know what, let's find someone who can uh, step in and take your place. Mm-hmm. And and I want to catch on to something you, you said a little bit earlier about, you know, having an exit plan, even as you're building, like knowing a lot of founders personally, especially maybe if it's your kind of your, your first baby, for lack of a better term, like it almost feels disingenuine to be like, well, I haven't even built this. Like, why am I planning to leave it? Yeah. Right. And I feel like some of some of them may feel like that hinders their ability to to build something great if they're already looking for the exit. Right. Yeah. How do you kind of help founders work around that concept and, and make it be a practical thing that that maybe it's investors are looking for, could be even your customers who are looking for it because they want to make sure that this thing scales and grows beyond you and is is not dependent on just the founders. Um, what kind of advice would you give for those folks that are that are kind of stuck in that circle? Yeah. So I think early on, sometimes um, entrepreneurs feel like they have a crystal ball. Uh, They feel like they've built this business or they're building this business and they seem to think they know exactly where it's going to (laughs) go. You know, this is where it's going to be. And I can assure you that there are tons of twists and turns. And at times you don't know what's going to happen to your business. And so I think having an exit in mind, especially as you're launching a business, two to three years into it, you start to know, first off, your own capabilities of growing it and scaling it to your to yourself, but also what are the capabilities of the business and, and what do you want to do? Do you want to try and raise the money necessary to get it to that next stage? Or is this a better time to exit now and give that off to another company that can then take it and grow it? So I think it's like an insurance policy, always identifying down the road where you can take an off-ramp is um, there's nothing wrong with it. It's preparation, really. And if you can be slightly prepared before these events, you're way better off. So it's not really a cop-out. It's not a selling out either. It's really just being prepared for whatever is going to come your way in the future. And we can't be naive as entrepreneurs thinking automatically everything's going to go the direction that we want it to. It's important to be ready for whatever. And then that way, if the opportunity arises, you can grab it quickly. And sometimes opportunity has to be grabbed quickly or you miss it. So you might as well, you might as well prepare ahead of time. Mm -hmm. 
And like for you, you've built the last four businesses with the same co-founder. Um, were those conversations had before the start of each one? And, and how did those kind of go? Yeah, we actually did. We talked about uh, for each of our businesses, we had a potential acquirer in mind and then or the journey that we wanted. Um, and we would bring that up, especially with Trulio, where we would get offers, you know, one, two, three, well, practically every year we would have some offer of, of something. And, you know, we didn't even, like I said before, we didn't even really discuss it because we both were on the same page. And this is a key piece, especially if you're in a partnership. If one partner has a vision for the company and they don't vocalize that, and the other one thinks the company is going the other direction, you will get friction and conflict. So it is actually very essential that if you're in a partnership, that you're on the same page. Um, because again, you don't know where your business will go. And those are hard discussions if you're not on the same page. Mm -hmm. And beyond the co-founders, like, was this known to your, your staff, your early team members, maybe your later team members as well, or like how, what, what's the communication between there in terms of the vision? No. Yeah. We never, we never really, because even, even preparing for an acquisition, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a crystal ball as well. You don't know if anyone's going to do it. It's really more about like, they'll give our very first company um, as an example, we recognized who our acquirer would probably be. They didn't have access to the Canadian market. And we recognized that if we built our business in a way that was complementary to theirs, that an acquisition would be very uh, seamless. And so we designed our business in a way that we knew would complement uh, one or two or three companies that we had uh, suggest thought to ourselves could be acquirers. And it was our first rodeo. We were happy with a quick exit. And so we built our business from day one with them in mind. And so that is one reason why you would want to do that. But with Truly You, we built it very differently. We didn't have that early acquisition in mind. So we were taking longer term, we were making longer term decisions. We weren't necessarily making decisions that were going to pay off in the first couple months. It was it was decisions that were going to pay three, four, five, six, seven years down the road. So that's why it's essential to have that in mind. And we never communicated it with our um team because we didn't know uh, what was going to come out, but it was always in the back of our mind. Mm -hmm. And then going back to to Stephen, again, four businesses with the same person. Um, What have you learned maybe about yourself and about about your partnership in general? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think the crux of our success was um, our partnership as well. Uh, Stephen is an incredible um, business person. He has uh, an incredible ability to cast vision and and get people excited and communicate what it is that the business is attempting to do. He's also excellent at sort of that dog on a bone execution plan. This is how we're going to get it done. He's very good at that. But complementary traits, and that is, I think for me, I'm able to see multiple possibilities in a moment and we're able to take his like d- like head down get something done and my ooh but let's add this and let's do that and it was complimentary and so um when i would advise co-founderships that were struggling uh it became very imp- i realized very quickly that it was extremely important that partners are united uh because you often see businesses fail when the partnerships fail and so that was kind of um, what I learned 
uh, as I started to see that Steve and I were enigma, I thought everybody had great partnership. <laughs> and then to find out, oh, no, that's totally not the case. It's actually highly irregular. So, um, yeah, that was surprising to me. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, your your perspective of, of you know, going back and looking at that relationship for the last decade kind of led you to now your your newest venture right yeah. um with co-founders hub like what's the motivation behind that and like what is it oh yeah i realized we haven't talked about it now we're half an hour in yeah yeah okay so uh when i mentioned i, I advised i advise a lot of co-founders on their partnership that was one of the main things that people would approach me on and uh as i started to look you know be internal about why steven and i succeeded and then started to interview a lot of other co-founders i realized not a lot of partnerships were suffering uh, secretly. You know, anybody who's in a partnership knows there's very few people that you can talk to if you're having struggles in your partnership. Uh, you can't talk to investors because that'll spook them. You can't talk to your employees because that's not couth. So there's a lot of uh, internalizing that happens when you're struggling. And I realize there's a absence of resources for partners, especially coming from the perspective of people who have done it before. There's a lot of academics. There's a lot of coaches. There's a lot of people like in that world that give advice. But to actually come to founders with the advice and the wisdom of others who have gone before, um, I figured that was extremely important. So I wrote the book, The Co-Founders Handbook. Um, it takes uh, people through from the very beginning question, which is, should I even get a co-founder? And it walks them through the process of what to look for, um, how to vet a partner, how to secure them legally, and then how to struggle or how to not struggle in a partnership. Instead, how to communicate, how to keep that partnership strong. And so the book starts there. And then the hub is actually a platform of resources and tools that we'll be providing to co-founders to help them really come alongside them to support and, and, and grow their partnership. Awesome. And without giving too much of the book away, I I'd love to explore a little bit of some of those topics. Sure. I did link it down for, for those folks and we'll make sure to have it in the show notes as well. Um, but I guess, I guess, first of all, for, for the solo founders, I know, cause we've been talking a lot about co-founders about partnerships, like what is the impetus for like, Hey, I can actually do this for myself. And I, and I feel like you might've advised some, some solo founders that have Absolutely. done quite well for themselves. Like what? Like what would inspire, what are the needs that were like, Hey, I actually need to go out and find somebody to, to have a partnership with. Yeah. So one is personality style, um, you know, assessing who you are as a person. Do you play well in the sandbox? That's the first thing that I would question is, you know, looking back on who you are, who you were in school, who you are in projects and work, you know, do you work well with somebody else? I flourish with somebody. Actually, I love bouncing off ideas with someone and having that really authentic conversation and being open to opinions and being part of that. But I know a lot of people who, who don't that actually really uh, work better sort of carrying the stick and running it with them on their own. So personality is number one. And then number two, it really depends on your business model um, and what, what you can wrap around you as a team. If you already have, say, a key person who maybe doesn't need to be co-founder material, but they're an excellent uh, employee in some way, uh, that might be a reason why you don't actually need a co-founder. And it depends on your business. If, if if you're not building something that you need that person beside you with, then then go ahead and not. But I will note that there are 
a percentage of investors who will not invest in a solopreneur. So I've never known an entrepreneur or sorry, an investor that says I don't invest in teams, but I have met investors that say I don't even pick up the phone for a solo entrepreneur. So that's something to keep in mind as well. If your intention is to raise money, you will shrink the pool with which you can access funds. And I, and I love that we're going round circle about this because it goes back to, you know, what you said, you know, 20 minutes ago, right? Like if you have that plan going in, like, Hey, I don't need to raise money. Yeah. Then maybe that isn't something that you need to be concerned about. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and of course the reverse, it works as well. And, and so with, with the co-founders hub, like, like you're, you're working with a lot of different entrepreneurs. Um, sometimes are you working with the teams together? Or is it usually like, okay, one of the, one of the founders has, has issues that they want to run through and they're kind of going on their own and being like, oh, my, my CEO does this. They don't do that. Yeah. Like how, how does that work? Yeah. So I, I have a very fun search that people can do. If you go to Google search and you type in my business partner is, and you let autofill add, you know, put, put its responses in, it, it, it helps you to realize that a partnership isn't easy. And so oftentimes I am usually approached by two types of people. The first one who's decided I need a co-founder and I need to know what to look for and where, or where you recommend I find one, et cetera. And then the, usually the other one is I'm, I'm having issues with my co-founder, either help me figure it out or help me get out of this partnership. So again, I talk to both together or sometimes by themselves. Um, but it is oftentimes I'm dealing with an issue. How do you recommend that I fix it? Mm -hmm. And like to you, as people are looking to add co-founders, the first part of what you were saying, like, I guess, first of all, what general advice would you have for them? Because that I get that question a lot too. Where like, where can I find a co-founder? Where are the speed dating things? Like, you know, the and and we've we've done our part in in trying to create events like that in the past as well, right? Like there's there's mixed, there's mixed results, but like obviously we're not defined by them because like I think a lot of us compare it to to trying to find find a life partner or or something like that, right? Like in exactly. many ways, it's it's meant to be serendipitous. It's not like there's a formula, like I I type in this and then yeah. I get that. Um so, so I guess what general advice would you have for them? But also like, I think trying to differentiate, like, do I need another co-founder or do I need just like a really skilled early employee? Like, how would you kind of break those things? I guess that's a two-part question. Yeah. So the first thing is I tell people, if you want to know what kind of co-founder you need, you need to do a very, very, very deep dive into who you are, what you bring to the table and what your goals and plans are for the business. And what does your business need? So are you going to need a, a co-founder who's going to bring capital along with you? Are you going to need a co-founder who can work 80 hours a week on this? Or are you open to somebody who can keep their job? Those three things are big pieces that you'll come across when you're vetting people is some a lot of times people just don't have the ability to work for free for three years while you build a business with no, you know, with no income. Um, so you need to understand a lot of these key components. And at the co-founders hub, we have a self-assessment, which really walks people through that. It's launching in the next two months or so, but um, that will be that key component. So you can identify what you need in that co-founder. And then where 
you find co-founders, again, this kind of goes back to the first question, is you need to be bold. Don't underestimate your network and the network of the net, the network of the people that you have in your network. So that means going out two, three um, levels of influence and saying, here's what I'm looking for. Do you know anybody? And that to me, from what I've spoken to, when people are from scratch looking for a co-founder, that is a key piece. Even putting it up on LinkedIn. Hey, listen, I'm looking for a co-founder, but you got to list the traits or else you get any Tom, Dick and Harry coming out of the woodwork. So you need to say, I'm looking for someone with this skill set who can give a capital injection of this amount, who is able to give full time. They have to be in this uh, uh, geographical location and have this expertise that narrows it down. And you would be surprised how many people are able to help you out with that. That's awesome. And now, now kind of the second thing, like for people who are already working with a group of co-founders, maybe, maybe sometimes it's a family business or in your case, in your case, it was your best friend. Like what are some things that you would suggest on improving that working relationship? Um, Again, based on your own experience or or other founders that you've worked with. Yeah. So the most important thing is to be extremely temp, uh, transparent and authentic with one another. You have to be extremely vulnerable and be willing to share and talk about everything that is bothering you, is uh, that you have as an idea. And it just basically you have to be extremely transparent. So I talk about communicating expectations. A lot of times when partnerships are failing, I often hear the term, I thought they were going to. I expected them this. They, I, I, I anticipated this was, or they didn't follow through the way I thought they would. And these are all expectations that we have in our head. And then when our partner doesn't actually do them, we're either resentful, we're frustrated, we're angry. And so it's extremely important to constantly be communicating. So intentionality is the most important. It, your partnership is not like a set it and forget it relationship. You need to be working on it daily, weekly, monthly, annually. You need to be getting together and constantly making sure that there's nothing that you're necessarily throwing under the rug and that you're always on the same page. That's the most important piece. Communication is essential. Can't just leave it to the fates to be a great relationship. It won't, it will, it will go sideways. There's a lot of dynamics in a co-founder partnership, personal, you know, uh, professional, everything is involved. So you gotta, you gotta stay on top of that, the strength of that partnership. I'm, I, I just can't get it out of my mind as you're, you're just talking about this. Like I could replace the title of, of this podcast with, with marriage counseling and it, <laughs> it, it fit in just as well. Right. But it's, but it's true. Right. Like it's, it's, it's very similar in, in that respect. I'll tell you what the difference is. And I always thought of it as a marriage, but I fit, then I figured out what the one thing is that's different. And uh, you could almost call a partnership like a polygamist uh, marriage. And, the, and with the with the business being the focus, and then the co-founders are like the mm. they, the they're they're the sister wives or whatever. It's it the business is the key, and the founders need to run everything through what is the most important thing for the business. We've got to make our relationship work. But if we run everything through the filter of what is best for the business, that is what the differentiation. In marriage, you've got to be like, what's the best for each other? But in this case, you have to say, what is the best for the business? And there's a good thing about that too. And that is, is it depersonalizes decisions that you have to make in your business. So I often throw out 
because this happens is people say, oh, I want my kid or my wife or my husband to work in the business. And it's like, okay, (laughs) that's what you want. And I want to support you. But what is the best thing for the business? Are they the right person for the role? Does that change the dynamic of our culture? Does that change the dynamic of our partnership if you bring these people in? And so when you do that, and if everyone's mature, then they could go, oh, yeah, you're right. This probably isn't the best decision for the company. And that's how you can depersonalize some of these hard decisions you got to make in business. It's amazing. Um, one of the last things you you wrote, you mentioned there was if everyone is mature. Um, and, and, you know, that kind of leads me to, to my last question kind of on the subject is, is for, for co-founder relationships that maybe are not the, not optimal, let's say, um, the, the, the example that comes to mind and, and spoiler, as we're, as we're kind of recording this, the Blackberry movie is coming out in a couple of weeks and, and, and one of the big storylines and one of the plot lines in, in the movie is, you know, Blackberry actually started with three founders, but we only know about two of them really, right? Yeah. From the last yeah. 10 years and, and yeah. there's a falling out. And I guess I don't want to spoil the whole movie, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, but like for those relationships that aren't working out, like what, what advice do you have for them for like, Hey, let's give this another shot versus like, let's, let's be mature about it. Let's part ways. Like how, how do you walk folks through that process? I guess from a basic level. Yeah. So maturity is important from the day one. So I find sometimes when partnerships are really struggling, you can't, it's hard to just say, Hey, you know, let's just be cool about this. Sometimes you actually have to take major action. So the first thing that I would tell people to do is to find a mediator. Um, There are professionals out there who can come in and help you sort out uh, the, the issues that you're having in your partnership. One recommendation I even have if you're in the early stage, find an advisor who will go along with you on your journey. And their only job is to support you as a foundership. And they come in, you use them as a sounding board. They're there to, they have no vested interest in the company at all. And they're just there to be that sounding board. It's really, really important. But um, the next thing to do, if you feel like the partnership is definitely going to go sideways, highly recommend you get a lawyer. You need to review your partnership agreement. You have to find out what it is you agreed on in the beginning. Uh, Sitting with a lawyer and accountant allows you to really understand your options and how to prepare for it. So if you are a majority founder, you're going to make different decisions than if you're a minority founder when it comes to exiting a partnership. So you really have to nail down and you have to take this seriously because when you're in a partnership with somebody, you have to understand 65% of partnerships or businesses will fail because of issues between the partners. So your insurance policy is making sure that that partnership and that relationship goes well. When it goes sideways, you have a lot to lose. So first thing you want to do is make sure you do the right things to find the right co-founder, make sure you do the right things to stay strong in a partnership. But when it goes sideways, you have to make sure you do the right things to protect yourself and your business. Because When a partnership fails, the business often follows, which means you will lose your investment, you will lose the time you put in, and it can be a big disaster. So put the money and effort into all the work you need to do to shore up what you need to do to protect yourself and your business. That's that's amazing. Um, And and I'm shocked by that 65% number. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like the solo solo founders are saying, see, see, see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? There there is definitely advantages to being a solopreneur, but I also I will say as well, 
is that when it works, it multiplies your effort 10 times as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you also need to anticipate that having somebody who's following that vision with you, it isn't just doubling your success rate. You really are adding a a, a multiple to your ability to, to execute whatever it is you're trying to do. For sure. For sure. And uh, as we're kind of just wrapping up here, like what I'm, what I'm really curious about now is like, how can people take part in what you're doing with, with co-founders hub? Like, is there, are there public forums? Is it, is it only clientele you're working with? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So right now the co-founders hub, we're in the midst of getting ready to launch our two masterclasses. The first one is for people in the very early stage, looking for a co-founder, wondering what I should be looking for. We do have that self-assessment, which is a course that's coming. Then we have what we call discovery session. Discovery session is about 70 to 80 different questions that you need to have with your co-founder and discuss, document, plan for, and go through and then print it off and sign it. It's basically 70, 80 of the questions that will by step all the risks that you'll have in your partnership. So it's an incredible product for that. Uh, We also have our 90-day co-founder challenge. And basically what that does is it's the tools of of things to think about, action steps to take that help you to, on a daily or weekly basis, to improve your partnership and ensure it stays strong. So we have these products that are coming. We're also doing, um, for Vancouver Startup Week, we're going to be doing a Meet Your Co-Founder event uh, where we're bringing in both technical co-founders, people looking to join um, other businesses uh, and people who are looking for co-founders. So we have that coming up. Um, And then we will also be doing events as well. So you're catching us at the like pre-launch stage for a lot of this stuff, but people can go on and like put their name in to be uh, notified when those are launching. But right now the co-founders handbook is available. If you're in a partnership, I'm not just saying this, but it is genuinely one of the best insurance policies because it'll guide you through whatever stage you're going through and help protect you so that you don't become that statistic at the end. That's, that's awesome. That's amazing. Um, so we'll again we'll make sure to to leave the the proper links in, in our Slack channel if if you're a member here that's listening to this live. Um, we'll make sure you get every every opportunity to get access to that. Now, if someone's listening to this, whether whether on the recording later or they're here right now and they want to connect with you, um, how how would you recommend? What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, the first uh, the best way would be to follow in uh, LinkedIn. Uh, message me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm happy to uh, just mention that you're you are on the AMA with launch, and I will answer any questions that you might have about partnerships. Uh, so you can do that on LinkedIn at Tanis George J O R G E, uh, and then I'm on Instagram as well if that's easier uh, as well. So at the Co-founders Hub uh, and uh, on both of those channels is the best way. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Tannis. I know, I know, like I'm looking at your, your, your window, it looks beautiful outside. So, <laughs> so I'm, sh- I'm sure you want to get back to your kids and, and whatnot. So really appreciate you, you spending time here with us. Um, so again, on behalf of all our entrepreneurs, thank you for, for the time that you've been spending here. And, and a lot of this was very valuable. Um, and uh, for those that, again, that are listening on the recording, make sure you're subscribing. And if you want to become a member, just go to launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. Um, and we'll be back again with more very, very soon. Thanks, thank you for your time. Appreciate All right. it. Take care. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Launch AMA, a podcast that's part of the Launch Academy network of podcasts. If you like what you heard, give us a follow on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Launch Academy HQ. You might also like our other podcasts, Bits and Bytes and Founder Journey.
This episode was hosted by Sam Chan and produced by Samson Lee. Learn more about what we do here at Launch Academy by going to launchacademy.ca. Consider joining our Launchpad program by going to launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. That's launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. Thank you.